quote the classics, on with the show. <laughs> This is Aga and Łukasz, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design. And much more. Hey, we are at the end of season 11. Finally finished. Yes. <laughs> it took us longer than usual. Yeah, although the theme is due, <laughs> which kind of seems to be contrasting to the speed that we did it. We didn't say anything about doing stuff fast. That's a good yeah. point. Now, truth be told, there were many things outside of this podcast happening. That's why uh, if you are a guest, it might have taken you a little bit longer between the recording and the release of this. Yeah. But for the listeners, I mean, that's same thing, right? Hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah. I... Let me start with asking you whether you redefined how you see do. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> From what I remember, we discussed during our <laughs> intro episode, because it's been a while, no, it didn't change that much. For me, it was a balance between uh, doing and thinking what to do. Mm -hmm. And we had at least one conversation along these lines with our guests. Although, but I think it's not so uncommon with our guests. I'm consistently impressed with our guests, how much they did already. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, many of our guests after you read longer or shorter uh, intro of them, they also have this reaction. Oh my God, did I do all these things? <laughs> so Aga, what did you do during the last weeks or months that you are most proud of? I finished my book, my mm. second book. Uh, we are... I act as I'm surprised, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you for reading through all of this and finding all the inconsistencies. We are working on the visual work for it. May I have a short interjection? Yeah. I guess many people now, they want to know, what is the book about? <laughs> the book is called Leadership by Design, A Guide to Transform You as a Leader. That's the exact title after the changes suggested by the pre-sales meetings. <laughs> pre-sales meetings sounds serious. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the whole book is a 12-week course on redesigning who you want to be and how you want to be as a leader. Mm. When can we expect to read it? Uh, the release date is September 15th, 2022. Cool. How does it feel waiting for this book to be finished compared to the first one? And I understand we are hijacking this uh, <laughs> episode. It feels different in a sense that many more things are known. So I'm more relaxed. And at the same time, I have this uneasiness in me about whether I'm not too easygoing about it. <laughs> because with the first one, I was, I think I was more tense and mm. more invested. Not that I'm not invested right now. I definitely am. Mm, but emotionally. That's a good way to put it. 
I'm enjoying immensely working with my team. I have uh, actually three girls working with me. It's the same me. team that you had on the first book, or not? Yes, it's the same team plus the illustrator, Veronika Siewiec, right. who is an amazing illustrator. And the work she's doing, I hope you are going to like it as much as I do. And it feels unreal to think that I should probably start calling myself a writer <laughs> by now. <laughs> so with the first one, it can be like an accident, you know, it just happened. But with the second one, you kind of start believing that this is something more serious. Uh, so in the future episodes, you are going to stop telling, well, you know, I'm a designer, so I think this and that. And then you will start saying, you know, I'm a writer and therefore I don't know. <laughs> I will say I'm a former designer, so I stop saying uh, it depends. <laughs> and as a writer, I start saying I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but let me turn the question around. What is the thing that you did that you are happy about or proud of in the last months? Yeah, when I asked you this question, I was afraid you are going to ask it back. <laughs> It's a really long story. I'm still happy I uh, ended my business relationship with the company I spent a year before because we really grew in different directions. And it was surprisingly difficult to do. And it sounds like stupid that you're happy or proud that you stopped doing something, but well, that's how it feels. It's about knowing what it is that you don't want to do. I don't know. I still have uneasiness in calling being proud of, but you know, it feels good still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I'm happy about, I have put a lot of manual work recently into uh, a little flat. And it took way longer than expected, but uh, I'm really happy about the results. I think if we paid someone to do this for us, it would be like, yeah, this is wrong and this is bad. And it was like really tricky stuff. So it feels good. <laughs> you know that experienced design uh, practices that you appreciate things more when you make them yourself. This is called the IKEA effect, by the mm -hmm. way. So you're putting the IKEA kitchen together in a tricky apartment and you are getting the IKEA effect. Yeah, but if I count what's left of the original uh, IKEA cupboards, uh -huh. each and single one of them has been altered. That's true. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Why unfortunately? Uh, because most of this work could have been, well, not most, but big part of this work could have been avoided if we did even more thinking before we started doing okay. <laughs> That's a good lesson. <laughs> And a good segue to talk about the, the season. So as usual, we had eight guests. Yep. The season starts with Theodor Edmonds, who is a cultural futurist and an artist. It was a fascinating conversation. Theo is working on combining data sets from the past, the present and the future, if I might say that, without revealing too much mm. about what he's talking about. And what I really loved about his story, and that gave me a lot of insights to think about, is considering the third space rather than considering the spaces that we know. So instead of looking at what's directly staring at you from data, I would say that he's taking a little bit of an oblique approach from John Kay, I think that's the name of the guy who wrote the book Obliquity. 
And he is approaching the understanding of the future from the combination of the arts, the health data, and the historical data about different things. I must say, I was always a little bit suspicious, but maybe not rightly so, maybe it could be my bias, about people who call themselves trend watchers or trend, not trendsetters, <laughs> people who try to envision the future from what's going on. And I've seen quite a few publications that were based on looking at what the technology is advertising, not necessarily doing, like AI being one of those. I mean, we are so far from like what regular people would consider intelligence that is still far out. But technological companies write stories about this. And there are sometimes these people who take this and weave the future that will be either very dark or very bright, whatever. But it's still kind of story-based. And as far as I can tell, not much of this comes into reality. And Theo's work is kind of the same field, but much more substantiated. Mm -hmm. So that for me was a glimpse into the field. I don't want to say business that I didn't know it existed. I mean, it, when you think about it, it should be there. But this is actually a person who does it. So it's, it's really intriguing in a sense that he says that predicting future is impossible or at least very, very hard, but still trying to do this in a, a little bit objective way as much as possible, rather than just telling stories and creating coffee table books that look nice and they all look like the Jetsons. But, you know, next year there is a completely different set of stories there. Mm. Hope it wasn't a rant, but... Even if it was, it's actually <laughs> a pretty... A relevant one, especially since you mentioned the coffee table books that change every year, because I've seen some of these people writing the new trend books every year. Yeah. <laughs> the trends don't change that fast, <laughs> because as humans, we are not able to change that fast ourselves. I mean, I don't mind the activity itself, because I mean, there, let's say for a sake of simplicity, there are mostly technology based. It's not completely true. But for people who are not deep into the tech or these trends for that matter, it could be very entertaining. But to base or even worse, try to trick businesses to rely on it. No, that's, I think it's, it's really bad. Mm -hmm. I have a very fresh example. How many years ago the, the whole ESG movement was all the hype and future? Three, five? Mm -hmm. Three, I would say, yeah. yeah. So recently... Explain ESG. Oh, it's uh, doing good for E is... Environment. S. Society. And G. Governance. So, you know, besides making money, you have to do good on all these three fronts as well. And I recently have seen a contract for insignificant amount of money to sponsor an event. And there was a whole attachment added to this that the organizers have to say that they comply with this ESG and then they, you know, they sort their trash and they don't do forced labor and no one under 13 is working. For just a bunch of people who are making an event. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a joke. It's just a checklist and waste of paper. Mm. On the other hand, we have the B Corp movement, which is a very interesting instantiation of ESG, I would say. So basically you, you get certified for uh, being a company that actually 
A, complies with these rules for real rather than pretend to comply with them. And the second thing is that they are actually doing things. That's awesome. I I mean, I am all for it, but it was supposed to be this, you know, world-changing wave. And besides some corner cases where this is important for the companies who actually, they really want to do this in many other places, it's just past what's the next uh, hype. Mm. But we are spending too long. <laughs> no, but on this. to be perfectly honest, it connects with one other thing that Theo was talking about that resonates very deeply with me. So he was talking about the hedonistic versus eudaimonic well-being. And hedonistic means being focused on yourself. And eudaimonic means being focused on the greater good, whatever that means. That's Aristotle had this idea. Could be ESG. Could be SGS. Yes. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm not, not joking. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> and how the shift in our way of thinking changes how we feel about our lives. I love those little nuggets because they make my writer's brain turn faster. I'll say it, say it this way. <laughs> okay. Then we had Latifa. Yes. Latifa Al-Khalifa is a STEM education entrepreneur or STEAM education entrepreneur. STEAM standing for science, technology, entrepreneurship, arts, and math. And she's doing this in Bahrain. Mm -hmm. With her, we talked about the need to alter the educational model in order for the young generations to learn how to do things rather than to learn how to... Memorize stuff. Yeah. What was really interesting in that conversation for me was Latifa's focus on the so-called soft skills as the basis for learning. It's interesting that we see them as supportive skills while what she points at is that maybe they should be the core skills supported by math and biology and history and any other merit topic that uh, is... Oh, merit. (laughs) (laughs) I married. (laughs) What? That is being taught at school. And that was a very interesting turn of the educational table there. If we look at this from helicopter view, it makes total sense. Because whatever you do, outside of very few exceptions, you will have to deal with other people. You have probably to cooperate with other people. So why shouldn't this be the basic skills? Because you are going to need them anyway. Mm. And on top of that, you can add whatever interests you. That makes total sense. Yeah. I was also intrigued by merging even more seemingly distinct fields of education because this this change from STEM, which is the technical straight thinking curriculum, to STEAM, meaning throwing arts into this. And if I remember my primary school, I had music lessons separately and painting, drawing stuff. It did not help. (laughs) (laughs) It discouraged rather than encouraged uh, doing these things. Yeah, especially the art as in painting and drawing. I was never good at that. And the music lessons were kind of boring. (laughs) 
And later in my way later in my life, I discovered that, well, in some parts of this artsy thing, I like it. And I like to think that I'm not bad at this. And the music is actually really, really intriguing. Mm. And if those lessons were maybe more focused on appreciating this or like just learning how to listen to music, that it's not only the, the top notes, but there is outside of the very, very simple pop music. It's a lot of stuff going on there. It's really like very interesting, even if you don't want to play just for exploration. So I lost like many decades of my life not being aware of that. Mm. And now you are making a record with yeah. your <laughs> band. <laughs> yeah, let's wait until it's out. All right. <laughs> What was also very interesting for me was how Latifa was talking about her way of approaching work. Mm. I am going to spoil one thing a little bit here, but I hope not much. She's talking about writing for herself something which she called the work manifesto. And it was mind-blowingly awesome for me to think that you can actually do that. And that can be super helpful for yourself and for others. And on a kind of a different layer, I realized how little we, I mean, you and me, know about the Middle East countries. Yeah. Because you ask a few questions about her country, how she finds her way. And I was really surprised with the answer. So yeah. we tend to put all these countries into a kind one. of one stereotype bucket and they are vastly different. It's always true, but it's it's sometimes good to be reminded how ignorant we still can be, right? I fully agree with you on that. Yeah. Okay, the next person we talked uh, to is Mike F. Schein. Mike is a writer and he, unlike me, calls himself a writer. <laughs> <laughs> with him, we talked about his book, Hype. For one, it was very interesting to realize the difference between creating hype and doing marketing. Also, it was very interesting to realize that the hype techniques can be used for good and evil. And I think that we are experiencing a lot of it in the world these days. But that whoever is doing this needs to be internally integrated with the type of hype they are creating because otherwise it just feels fake. Mm. If you are a, a person who has negative connotations with the word hype, please put it on a side and go through this episode because for me it was also kind of a, a negative connotation. But just let Mike explain to you how he defines hype versus how he defines marketing. And then I think you will be at peace. It's just a reframing, but the observations and the techniques are really valid. And I'm sure you recognize them just being labeled differently. It's nothing inherently bad in this hype. It's what we do anyway. That's why we, for example, record this uh, closing episode, just to get you interested in maybe in some particular guests or conversations that we had. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mike also explains the origins of the word hype, which is super interesting mm. and very revealing about the original notion of that word. I and agree. what marketing really means as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Anyway, Alice Loy. 
Mm. Alice runs a startup accelerator from New Mexico that aims at people who are in the creative industry. And again, on a different layer of me figuring out how ignorant I am, every time we talk with someone from US, but not from the usual places, makes me want to go there and uh, spend a month or something traveling because it's it's not what we see on TV. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like the creative people, they have as much potential as anyone else, or tech, which is all hyped, just to connect more dots. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems Alice figure out what else they need to make that happen. And I remember we had a really interesting exchange of thoughts about being an artist and making it a living out of it. How it could be a choice whether you do art for yourself or out of yourself and it happened to sell but apparently very few people are in this position or you have to tweak it a little bit so you appeal more to someone who wants to pay you. I remember many seasons ago we had a conversation about how arts different from design. Mm -hmm. I think the definition then was the art is that something that you express and that's it mm -hmm. and everything else is design. This was just one perspective, but here it gets much more nuanced on top mm -hmm. of that, right? So true. What I really liked about that conversation and that made me think about something I haven't thought about before was that when you think about tech industry and tech startups, they are about replicating the same solution in different places in the world in a very similar way. What Alice pointed at is that when you think about scaling creative startups, you can think about creating the mechanics that are replicable, but you add local flavor on the top of it. So it's on the one hand scalable, but on the other, it always has the relevance for the place it's being placed at. Like just to explain what I'm talking about, we've been actually talking about Mia Wolf, which is a immersive installation and uh, how creating these spaces in different places in the world can have influences from the stories and legends and myths being alive in these places. And that's a very intriguing thought. Just something new that popped into my mind is that maybe it's not that different in the end. Because when you said about this distinction, if I'm thinking about the big brand, could be a tech brand moving into a new country, they might want to tweak it a little bit to the local culture or whatever. It's a wrong example, but I remember when the big supermarkets came into Poland, they decided to keep foreign names mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, I'm sure it was a, a conscious decision. And on the other hand, when we say about artists who want to express themselves versus tech industry, see how we said, contrasted one person with an industry. If you look inside the people who work in tech, all the way down to uh, programmers, they want to create something nice and elegant and beautiful for their eyes as well. Only 
it's very difficult to appreciate from the outside. So mm. maybe these words are actually not that separate. Maybe the scale here plays a role as well. Mm. I don't know. One thought that came to me as you were speaking was that right now in the context of tech and industries, this cultural appropriation, I would say, is in servitude to the general. Yes, because it's just easier to replicate uh, one-to-one. But at least you have to consider how you communicate in different languages. And there you probably have influence, right? You can be more formal in one country, less formal in the other. This is not in the service of beauty and arts that I agree with. So for me, that that's the difference. Yeah, that yeah, here yeah. it's like the auxiliary things that you shift to feed the culture. And here is the core of the product or the solution that's being shifted. Yeah. Okay. Well, interesting insights, even on the last episode. <laughs> Who knew? Okay. Then we had Daniel. Have you seen the picture that he sent? Yes. He looks like a crazy inventor on that yes, picture, doesn't he? Yes, does. he? <laughs> <laughs> And that's what he was talking about. He yeah. was talking about his childhood dream of being an inventor that got turned into the modern world inventing, which is entrepreneurship. Well, yes, but then I remember he said something that he switched to entrepreneurship and it's a different story and he wants to go back to inventing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is something that I've noticed a lot these days and I'm not sure whether this is availability bias because I've noticed it with one person and I've noticed it with many. However, I can see a lot of people going back to doing things rather than Uh, being in more managerial positions. I don't know if you've noticed that too. When you mentioned it, yes, it could be a change of guards that people that you know, roughly our age, plus mm-hmm. or minus 10 years, who are managers, maybe they are moving, but someone has to be filling these positions uh, as well. So mm-hmm. it could be that. Yeah. But it connects to me with this whole phenomenon of big resignation that's already officially described in the US and I've seen research in Poland on this as well. Mm -hmm. So it seems that it is a global trend that happened during the pandemic that makes people reconsider what makes them fulfilled, Mm -hmm. I would say. And for many people, the endless array of solving problems that you can never really solve because new ones are being created is something that is not satisfactory anymore, mm-hmm. I think. I've been talking to one friend and she said that she would love to do work that has a clear end point. Mm. <laughs> and with leadership you never have, right? <laughs> well, this is something that uh, Daniel touched upon, not in one bit, but it kind of weaves through the conversation because now he is, uh, he's not a C-level, he's kind of a high-ranking person in a scale-up. And two aspects that connect to what you just said was that one is that he said he wants to be more in the background, not telling people what to do or how to do this. And on the other hand, when we ask him what he is proud of, he said that despite basically this company growing, the culture and how it operates internally. So those two things together seem to me like he wants to see the end of his job at that company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, mm-hmm. a move in a direction that I call, you know, making yourself obsolete or unnecessary. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, this was also funny because he said, like, being an entrepreneur, he would like to go back to being uh, an inventor from being an entrepreneur. And yet, designing a company or influencing the company from the inside out is it leadership, entrepreneurship, or inventing? Inventing or designing and building stuff. Yeah, interesting, a huh? A bit of everything, maybe. Mm, I don't know. Probably. I think it's like a reinterpretation and reframing of what inventing means in that sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say this is definitely building stuff, no doubt about this. Whether it's inventing, and we also touched upon it, what is an invention? And there are mm. different kinds of flavors and having like a new drug that cures untreatable condition is one kind of invention. But putting stuff together creatively and making it work in a new way also is so... That episode would fit into our series about uh, innovation. All right. The next guest was Anna van der A, our Kiwi friend with beautiful Kiwi accent. Oh, just to give you a background, we spent a few months in New Zealand some years ago and we absolutely love the culture and the people and the place. And, and that's why we like the accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as confusing as it sometimes may be. <laughs> I remember when uh, I was asked to help to move a disc. And I said, why do you need help to move like, a small disc? And it was a desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna, she is like a Renaissance woman. Mm. She sings and plays and writes songs and creates music and draws and does UX work and is a researcher and helps organizations communicate better. Jeez, she's awesome. Mm. Well, who of our guests is not? Fair point. <laughs> With her, we talked a lot about, on the one hand, using visuals to communicate the things that are difficult to communicate. Mm -hmm. And she does something which she calls UX comics. And I love it. And there's a really interesting story how she came up with this or how it came into being. Yeah, indeed. But at the same time, she was talking about something which is called clean coaching. Clean coaching, clean questions. Both. Clean, both. <laughs> <laughs> which was created by a guy from New Zealand, by the way. And uh, it was very interesting to be asked those questions and to try to ask those questions mm -hmm. back at her. So that's something they've never heard about before. And these questions, I mean, you will hear them specifically in that episode. I don't want to repeat this because they feel very abstract and maybe a little bit artificial, but they do work. But I also have a, an observation from the other angle about this kind of coaching questions that you really have to develop a touch for it. I mean, you cannot use it automatically. I'm part of a little online community around agile coaching, which I did and still do sometimes. And there is just the point of laughing by now, because if someone asks the question, the first two quote unquote helpful answers would be this kind of coaching questions. And then inevitably the fourth or fifth one is, guys, I know all these questions. I went through it. Give me your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be overdone. 
it was fun realization for me that in some situations people want you to go straight to your opinions. <laughs> Much like we do in the podcast, right? We want to hear opinions of our guests, not to get questions from them. Oh, sometimes we can, but I am so much more interested in how they think and what they think than what I think. Yeah, uh, Anna did this to us <laughs> during did. that episode, right? Yeah, and then yeah. we had to scale. Hey, this is not about us, it's about you. <laughs> then we have... A podcaster. Yeah, David Nabinski. <laughs> David and I met when we were doing the podcast fellowship which is the funding story for Catching the Next Wave. It started from me learning how to edit a little bit and how to not freak out in front of the mic too fast. David is also an amazing community facilitator. He's been facilitating the podcasting fellowship community for a very long time. And I can see how little things make the community live and thrive or die. So he's talking a little bit about his approach to community building. This is actually a conversation where you weren't present. I was struck down by some bacteria. Yeah. It wasn't COVID, it wasn't. probably. <laughs> and the tests were negative. Yeah. So one thing that comes from this conversation, I've been thinking about a lot, is the notion of accountability as a way to get you doing things. Because... In a way, if we have witnesses to what we do, it's so much more motivating to keep on doing things and keep on going rather than just abandon things. Of course, but you need this kind of will to do this in the first place. And this is just a supporting mechanism. I was really impressed. Well, I wasn't part of the conversation, but I did the editing, of course. And I was impressed how he comes through as really committed to doing this stuff. And he mentions like the cost in a few places. And yeah, I wish I had such a grid sometimes. He is talking about a concept that he created, which is called the portfolio career, by the way, which is a very interesting concept. He has his podcast about it. It's about combining the work for others with your own work as a way to create your unique portfolio. I also like that concept because Often what we see is that people either consider themselves as startuppers, freelancers, or people working for the man, whoever the man is. And I loved his very fresh perspective on the fact that actually there is another way of thinking about it, which is like a combination of these things. And it's not like you are a, a butterfly jumping from one thing to another, but this can be a very conscious way of designing your career so that you have the space to work with others and also have the space to do your own projects. I really, really like that. Uh, yeah, concept. I mean, fundamentally, where I find worth in this is that he put a, a name, a label on something that definitely both of us do, but probably many people as well. Because if you say you're a startupper or like freelancer, it doesn't say anything about what you do. Mm -hmm. And if you have done this for a while, you probably touched different things and you did different things. And there was a, a lacking term just to put it all together. And this portfolio is it's just a perfect word for that. Yeah, indeed. And added bonus, it works in Polish too. Indeed. <laughs> One thing that connected the conversation with David with the conversation with Latifa was that we talked about education. And while with Latifa, we talked about 
early childhood education mostly. With David, we talked a lot about the lifelong learning and how the approach towards learning radically changes in the world these days, especially in the Western world, that people no longer accept themselves as finite experts, uh, well-formed and unchangeable, but they keep on seeking new knowledge and new approaches and new way of thinking, really. Yeah. On a side note, I wonder if this is connected with this civilization achievement of us not having to hoard knowledge in our heads anymore. I can imagine when the access to information was scarce and you have to keep it in your head mostly or in books that you cannot reference easily, you cannot search in them, that if you get loaded with this knowledge and even if you wanted to move on, it could have been kind of an an obligation in a sense that people would constantly come to you within this area only mm-hmm. and maybe you would like to, you know, preserve it for other people. So that could be a little bit limiting for you personally if you wanted to branch out or move on to different stuff. But on the other hand, maybe people just lived shorter and they didn't have that, that much time. Or the gaining the knowledge was much harder. So at some point you just meet the natural wall of what you can achieve in that sense. Since the library in Alexandria burned, you couldn't get many <laughs> things in one place anymore, right? Indeed. <laughs> And right now I can see that whatever new course is being created, I could see people from anywhere in the world doing it. So that's super cool. And that also shows that the only limitation that we face is our own, not the access or the possibilities of doing things. But also another thing is that what I am seeing sometimes is that people become the educational junkies. So they go from one course to another, and that really doesn't give the space to integrate that knowledge into uh, what they do. So, yeah, I think that there's a a balance as usual in everything. Mm. And last but not least, Andrew, whom I vaguely remember from our first meeting because he was (laughs) in disguise. Yes, Andrew Lacanienta, a very dear friend and a fellow experience designer who... I think really nicely connects with what David was talking about with this lifelong learning, because what Andrew is talking about, a little bit provoked by me, is that being different is a really powerful thing as long as you stand in your own truth. Just on that note, if you haven't seen the artwork, it's called, like, you know, these little covers for each episode... Imagine someone who is a tenure track professor and now look at the cover of the episode with Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of make us a point, right? Yes. (laughs) What's really super interesting, and I think that Andrew didn't think about it because that's so much him, but that was something that triggered me as I know him for many years now, was that him being different allows him to come to places and make people think outside the box because of the fact that he is the way he is. And that's so cool. For me, it connects also a little bit with what Michael said about hype and being true to yourself to big extent. 
because I remember the conversation with Michael was like, if you try to replicate somebody else doing their own version of hype, again, in a positive sense, it won't work, most probably. So here, now fast forwarding to the conversation with Andrew, it's a, a great example how he used his differences extremely to his advantage. And if he considers what he is doing, uh, hype or hyping, textbook example. Yeah, <laughs> although as it is his truth, he's not creating this. He's just himself. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. But I mean, world, yeah. if we agree that hype is something positive that you build around your what you do, your work. So I say that part is how it's very consistent with who Andrew is. Indeed. One other thing that he talks about, which I find fascinating, is the modern disconnection between the mind and the body and how much we are in our heads rather in our bodies and how reconnecting with our bodies makes us be more ourselves, really. So you are now uh, winking, winking to Latifa again, <laughs> <laughs> bringing arts and other stuff into the heart sciences. Yeah, but also probably to the conversation with Theo about uh, how art is helping to see the invisible. Mm. So I think that there is uh, quite a few underlying currents of topics and thoughts that uh, go through that season. As usual, actually, right? And between seasons, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we hope that you will enjoy season 11. Once again, apologies that it took a little bit longer than expected to be out. Just to quote one guy, the real life interfered with this. And how about season 12? Yeah, how about it? Are we going to make one? Or we end on a high note and say, okay, that's it. You heard everything <laughs> interesting that was to be heard from our network. I would say this way. If we do season 12, <laughs> <laughs> the theme for it will be, if not critical thinking, then what? Which was something that was triggered by Daniel in our conversation with him. Mm. Thank you very much for listening to this final episode of season 11. And we hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We would love to hear from you on Twitter at Malka6 and at DLS6. You can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com.